Live from WNUR News, I'm Brendan Prizman. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM, HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Tonight on WNUR News. Evanston businesses might have to shake policies up as the city council debates a ban on cashless business. SZA is still atop the Billboard 200 thanks to her latest album, and we tell you how Northwestern students feel about the chart-topping creation. Be Real is still trying to get a foothold in the social media market, and we take you through how they're trying to pull it off. And, of course, the NU Sports Report. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. Evanston City Council recently discussed a ban on cashless businesses to improve equitability efforts. But why are these steps being taken? Erica Schmidt reports. Leslie Williams made a public statement at the January 9th Evanston City Council meeting about the ban on cashless businesses in Evanston. Williams is the president of Community Alliance for Better Government, a grassroots campaign in Evanston that strives for transparency in local government. According to Williams, the ACLU and the NAACP are against cashless businesses. I think when the primary organization for civil liberties and the primary organization for African-American rights both oppose something, that's definitely a cause for concern. And, you know, it really just boils down to simple equity, particularly for low-income people who, of course, are disproportionately people of color. But what exactly makes cashless businesses inequitable? People who are low income often do not have bank accounts or they're underbanked. So there may be one person in the family that has a bank account, but individual people don't. So they don't necessarily have individual debit cards. And some of the companies that want to go cashless have said, well, people can buy mobile cards or they can buy access cards. But that is an extra financial burden. And the fees that are charged for having bank cards are something that are often overwhelming for people that really live paycheck to paycheck. Eighth Ward Alderman Devon Reed was the council member who made the referral or acted as the lead sponsor of the ban. Many cities across the U.S. have chosen to ban cashless establishments, so Evanston would be following in that direction to make our city more equitable. Some of those cities include New York City, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and the entire state of New Jersey. Williams says this signals how Evanston has misplaced priorities. There was a sudden push for development. There was a push to make Evanston a cool city that young people with a lot of disposable income would want to flock to. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you start to tailor all of your resources and all of your development priorities to that population of high-income people, then you may, in fact, be doing a lot of harm to people who have lived here for generations and people who are a strong part of the fabric of the community. Do we really value low-income and black and brown people in Evanston, or do we see them as an obstruction? Reed and Williams' presentation was a success and was moved to committee. At the January 23rd council meeting, a motion passed to move the ordinance to the Economic Development Committee and the Equity and Empowerment Commission. Williams says that there are a few arguments community members and some council members made against the ban. One of them is that the population who would benefit is already so small. When people talk about the cashless businesses, 
it's all about convenience. You know, it's just so much faster. It's just so much easier. And I really don't think we can dismiss those people and just say, well, it's, you know, it's just such a small percentage. We shouldn't worry about it. I think it's also really disturbing that a lot of the places that want to do this are fast food places because, you know, people who are low income, that's often where they're going for food. I mean, we're not talking about fur coat retailers or high-end automobile dealers. Williams says that other people like Alderman Tom Sufferden believe small businesses may take an economic hit from the legislation. I don't think that's true. And I don't think that is really taking the correct long-term view. I mean, I don't think the purpose of the city council and the purpose of our legislation should simply be to make life easier for people who can afford a debit card or who don't need to work for minimum wage. I think we should have a broader vision than that. Reed says the push looks hopeful and is the first consumer protection ordinance in the city of Evanston, but it isn't the only one in the works. This is being considered very soon we're going to be having a fair work week ordinance in front of us, which I believe if passed as is presented, it will be the strongest fair work week ordinance in America. And so there are many other considerations that are coming forward that I think are, you know, really could serve as models for other municipalities in relation to equity, consumer protection and worker protection. As Williams and Reed fight for marginalized communities one ordinance at a time, Reed says equity is a never ending fight but one that is worth it. I would certainly say that we are leaders in the equity movement uh, here in the U.S., but, you know, can I just blank and say that we are equitable? No, it's a long-term mission that I think it's going to take a long time for us to really get to a place where we can be proud of the progress that we've made. From WNUR News, I'm Erica Schmidt. Moving on to arts and entertainment. This Monday marks SZA's sixth week on top of the Billboard 200 chart for her second studio album, S.O.S. With SZA coming to Chicago in February, students share some thoughts about her latest project. Paul O'Connor reports. What you just heard was the first few seconds of S.O.S., the title track off of American singer SZA's latest album. It's also the first track off the album, pulling us into the expansive and often vindictive world of S.O.S. This is SZA's first album since 2017, when she released her debut studio album, Control. Control was released with great critical acclaim and quickly generated a cult-like following. Listeners immediately took to SZA's voice with its ability to soar above more basic pop melodies and straddle different genres. Here's Cara Totley, a Medill first year. So, how, how, like, how big of a fan do you think you are of SZA? I have listened to both albums. I feel like I'm a casual, a casual fan. Um, when did you start getting into her? Um, I got into her when Love Galore dropped because that was a pretty popular song and my sister showed it to me. And like, was there anything like unique about the album that like you had just never heard before? I just liked her tone of voice yeah. and the way that she sang. It just sounds so pretty and so airy and it just, like in Love Galore, her little runs are just so good to listen to with like headphones. It just sounds so nice. Fans of Control also praise SZA for her often devastating honesty. 
Here's Sydney Johnson, a first year in the School of Comms. Troll, it's like incantations unreleased. It is confessions without even thinking for a second on whether or not you should say them. It's just, I don't know, it's very raw. She talks about a lot of her insecurities. Other fans were drawn to her somewhat mysterious persona. Here's Brandon Chen, a Weinberg first year. There were a lot of memes about how she's kind of like incoherent and you can't really understand what she's saying in her songs. Okay. Which I thought was kind of funny because then I would just like go through all of her songs and like try to figure out what she was saying. Here's SZA from 2017 in an interview with Power 106 Los Angeles before the release of Control. I think Control is more of a concept okay. than a title. I think um, I wanted to control the way people saw me, thought of me, wanted to control the way life was going. And I don't know, and I think once you lose enough, <laughs> it's just like mm -hmm. you allow yourself the space to relinquish control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Feelings of powerlessness influenced her first album, but it's been five years. What's she thinking about now? She didn't mince words when asked about the inspiration for her album. Here's an interview with Posted on the Corner, shortly before SOS dropped. What was your biggest inspiration for SOS? Um, being angry. I was fed up with so much, and I just had to live it out. <laughs> the anger comes through right from the beginning in the album's title track called SOS. The song samples a gospel tune from the 70s, arranged by the Gabriel Hardman delegation, called Until I Found the Lord, My Soul Couldn't Rest. It provides a triumphant segue into a relatively short and uninterrupted declaration of her intent to, quote, take what's mine. SOS shows some attempt to take some ownership over that heartbreak, but tracks like Special, the 16th off the album, lean right in. According to Sydney, this is where we see the clearest influence of Control. I think like special is probably the most control like song oh. on there because she's like I don't know she's she's that's a confession song that's like oh these are my thoughts this is how I actually feel but the album certainly doesn't linger in the past SOS is by far the more experimental between her two major projects I think this album showed that she has a lot more range vocally yeah. and in genres too Snooze leans a lot more into classic R&B. Shirt has a hip-hop and trap sound. And F2F, perhaps one of the more bizarre tracks off the album, experiments with pop punk. SOS also has some notable collaborations. Featured on the control single, Love Floor, Travis Scott returns on open arms. This track also brings back the voice of SZA's mother, heard extensively through Control. Phoebe Bridgers also features on Ghost in the Machine. The track has a tense and uncanny sound unlike anything else on SOS, but it works surprisingly well for both artists. At 23 tracks, SOS is by far SZA's biggest project. Accordingly, it's been by far her most successful one as well. Released on December 9th of 2022, it debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. It stayed at number one ever since, reaching six consecutive weeks this past Monday. 
That's the longest for any R&B or hip-hop album since Drake's Views back in 2016. As SOS began to grow more and more successful in the charts, comparisons began to arise between SZA and Taylor Swift, who just released her record-breaking Midnights. Both artists were releasing new bundles to boost Kill Bill and Antihero, their respective singles. They also both recently announced national tours. Both will be coming to the Chicago area, SZA in late February and Taylor in June. Predictably, as the two albums began to match each other commercially, the Twitter discourse between their respective fan bases got nastier. You know, obviously there was some competition, like pretty open competition between her and Taylor Swift. Yes. Like, do you think I, the rollout was at all sort of influenced by that sort of... Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. I don't think so? Taylor Swift is very, 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 very conscious about her fan base and how um, they operate. Whereas SZA, she's there to put out what she wants to put out. And once again, whatever everybody else thinks is what they think. And when I asked Brandon how he thought SZA was competing on the charts with a project like Midnight's... Maybe maybe because of how novel she kind of is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Taylor Swift's been around for a while. And, like, she's obviously going to always have her fan base, but it's very steady. Like, but SZA, like, just, like, popping in and out, like, every once in a while, I feel like that is what gets people crazy. When an interviewer for Hot 97 asked SZA about the meaning of her album cover, which shows her sitting on a diving board in the middle of the ocean, she seemed surprised at SZA's frank response. Different people, like on social media, they said it could possibly be an inspiration from a photo um, of Princess Diana. Yeah, it was. Okay, it was. Okay. The references that I pulled for that, I pulled the Diana reference. And because I just loved how isolated she felt, and that was what I wanted to convey the most. Comparing herself to Princess Diana right before she died is alarming. Then naming the album SOS, both a reference to a childhood nickname as well as the acronym for Save Our Ship, almost makes the album seem like a cry for help. Is SZA being pushed too far? Does she feel some sort of impending collapse for herself? The piece conveyed by the album cover, especially the animated one, tells a different story. Whether this means she'll retire or start another project, SOS just might be a vision for herself. A vision of living on her own terms and reconnecting with the world around her. Reporting for WNUR News, I'm Paul O'Connor. And Be Real took over the social media scene in 2022. All your friends probably have it, and if they don't, they're certainly no stranger to posing for your daily picture. But the app needs to find a way to compete with major players like Instagram and TikTok. John Ferrara has the story. It's time to be real. If you're on a college campus, you've probably heard that colloquialism by now. Prompted by a push notification, millions of users flock to capture a spontaneous picture of their day on the Uber viral app. BeReal boasts 15 million downloads, most of which have come in the past six months, and it's been looking to capitalize on its growing audience ever since. In July of this year, it overtook Twitter in monthly downloads. In August, it beat out Snapchat's numbers. 
Only Instagram and TikTok have continued to outpace the French-based company when it comes to adding users. Despite its mounting success, critics have been quick to point out that the app's longevity is still very much in question. Why? Well, first, people just don't spend time on Be Real. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that an app designed solely to capture a moment within a two-minute period of everyone's day won't generate frequent use. Most who upload regularly just tap on the notification, snap a picture, scroll through some of their friends' posts, and log off until the next alert. I went to Allison Dining Hall to ask students about their Be Real usage. I would say approximately four minutes. Five seconds to take a picture and that's it. The one minute I post? Probably like five. I, I don't really react. I'll just post and then like I'll look at who's posted already and then I'll get off. Probably. Like three minutes. Those are students' responses to how much time they spend on the app per day. And hear what those same students said when asked about how much time they spend on TikTok or Instagram. I think I spend like an hour on TikTok a day, probably. <laughs> like... 10 minutes on Instagram, maybe? An hour a day, maybe? Recently, I really haven't been using it. So maybe like 30 minutes or something. Okay. Like two, two and a half hours <laughs> every day, yeah. The second problem Be Real faces is monetization. Unlike their established competitors, the app has yet to produce any revenue. Right now, they're operating solely off of money raised from three rounds of venture capital funding, highlighted by a $30 million Series A run. But Be Real has yet to find a way to make money off their users. A recent report from the Financial Times notes that executives within the company have been adamant that advertising would be disruptive to the user experience. That same report detailed Be Real's plan to eventually roll out in-app purchases. The looming question about the proposition is, would anyone actually pay for an extra feature or two on real an app that they probably don't spend much time on anyways absolutely not no no shot no no probably not i don't i don't think i'd pay for like any like social like media so yeah things aren't looking good the report noted that this monetization effort would likely roll out in the back half of 2023 and who knows if people will still be hooked on the app's fast-paced trendy theme by then in the meantime the company has lots to worry about in its competition tiktok was quick to release a new feature labeled tiktok now in early september snapchat added a two-sided camera a staple of be real to their platform in august and an instagram spokesperson has said an internal be real-esque prototype is in development needless to say challenges await the social media startup will it turn into another clubhouse the infamous one-hit wonder app that took people by storm in 2021 before falling into disarray? Or can it hold the course, increase user participation, build a monetization path, and follow in the footsteps of the current behemoths atop the social media mountain? For WNUR News, I'm John Ferrara. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.22 p.m. Central Time. It's Wednesday, and that means it's time for a check on Northwestern Athletics. Here's your NU Sports Report from Daniel Gross. Hello, I'm Daniel Gross. Here's your NU Sports Report for this week. First, basketball. After two games were postponed because of COVID protocols, the men's basketball team returned with a win Monday against Wisconsin. Led by Boo Booey's 20 points, the Cats took down the Badgers 66-63, their 13th win this season. Men's basketball looks to build off of this momentum tonight against Nebraska in Lincoln. ESPN's most recent installment of Bracketology lists Northwestern as one of the last four teams in to the NCAA tournament. Women's basketball lost Sunday in heartbreaking fashion, 67-64 against number 21-ranked Illinois, dropping the 6-13 on the year. The Cats currently sit last in the Big Ten standings at 0-9. The team once again struggled with turnovers, 
giving the ball away 18 times to the Fighting Illini. The Cats look to end their skid tonight against Chicago State in a makeup non-conference matchup in Welshrine Arena. In football, Armand Bins was named the new wide receivers coach Tuesday, coming to the Cats after a year at Youngstown State. Bins played his college ball at the University of Cincinnati before four seasons in the NFL and two in Canada. Swimming and diving take on Purdue, Iowa, and Minnesota in a meet this weekend at the Norse Aquatic Center. The men are coming off a loss against 24-ranked Wisconsin, while the women upset the 17th-ranked Wisconsin women in the meet this past Saturday. The quad meet this Friday and Saturday will feature the team's senior recognition ceremony. The wrestling team faces 13-ranked Wisconsin this Friday in Welsh Rhine Arena. The team is coming off an 18-17 win against Illinois last Friday after a big performance by Michael D'Augustino in the meet's final bout. The team is currently ranked 14th in the country by the coaches' poll. Two players from the softball team were named to the 2023 Team USA Top 50 watch list for Best Softball Player of the Year. Grad students catcher Jordan Rudd and pitcher Danielle Williams made it to the list in anticipation of the season's first pitch February 10th. And that's all for the NU Sports Report this week. There's a lot of action coming up in the next few days, and you don't want to miss any of it. For more information about upcoming games, as well as how you can watch the Wildcats live, visit www.nusports.com. For WNUR News, I'm Daniel Gross. A look at the weather for tonight. It is currently 30 degrees with winds of about 10 to 15 miles per hour. The snow showers are likely to continue on and off throughout the night and into the morning. Tomorrow will look a lot like today with cloudy skies and a chance of snow showers throughout the day. The temperature is expected to reach a high of 32 degrees but also dip to as low as 18 degrees later tomorrow night. And on Friday, the clouds will continue throughout the day but the snow showers will likely dissipate before the afternoon. The high on Friday will be 35 degrees and the low will be 20 degrees. Taking a look into the headlines, Facebook parent company Meta has announced that they will restore former President Donald Trump's Facebook and Instagram accounts. Trump's accounts were originally suspended over two years ago in the aftermath of the Capitol attack on January 6th, but much like Twitter, Meta believes that the two-year ban is a sufficient punishment. It remains to be seen how Trump will use the platforms as he potentially prepares for a third run for the presidency. Shoot Middle School part of District 65 in Evanston, recently had to close its gym after a test resulted in the discovery of asbestos in the floor. The floor will need to be replaced, but not until the asbestos has been fully mitigated, which could take a few months. Joseph Sierra, the director of operations of District 65, estimates that the soonest the gym could reopen is late March. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR News stories on our website, WNUR.News. That's WNUR.News. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Jesse Chen, and our reporters are Erica Schmidt, Paul O'Connor, John Ferrara, and Daniel Gross. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Brendan Preisman. Catch our next newscast on Friday, January 27th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.